Amen. It's great to see all of you, uh, especially if you're here for the very first time. We welcome you. Um, I'm Seth. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're excited to share God's Word with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series called Ultimate as we study the book of Colossians, starting from verse 15. And I want to just reiterate, and I'll probably do this several more times just throughout this series so we're all on the same page. But the reason why we decided to do a book study, as some of you know, if you've been with our church, we like to look at the Bible and address different issues in our lives because I believe the Bible is very practical. That's why we do topical sermons, uh, even just throughout the whole uh, season in our church. But then there are also times when we actually study the book in a Bible, in the Bible, a book in the Bible, so that we can learn more about what God's Word says in its entirety instead of just looking at different verses and trying to help support some of the things that we're looking at. And so that's why we made it very clear the, full, the fourfold reason why we are studying the book of Colossians, or any other book for that matter. Uh, the first one is Bible literacy. I want all of us in our church to be more Bible literate. I'm amazed at how some of us are no more Chinese proverbs than the Bible. Now, even though some of these Chinese proverbs might have some biblical principles, they are not the Bible. They are not biblical principles. And some of us have been brought up in such a way that you understand more of worldly wisdom rather than biblical wisdom. And this is the reason why some of our lives are where it is right now. That's why some of us are struggling with the different things of this world, is we don't have the Bible embedded in our minds and in our hearts. So I'm praying that as we study the Word of God together, that that will be the challenge for us. Secondly, we want, especially in this book, in the book of Colossians, we want to strengthen our belief in the sufficiency and the supremacy of who Jesus Christ is. Until you understand that he's supreme over all things in this world and in your life, you will be worshiping other gods and you're going to be in bondage. That's why as we study this book, and especially as it specifically addresses to uh, sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, I'm hoping that it will challenge us to love him more. And the third reason is the battle for our hearts. We're constantly wrestling with our hearts because there are things that we are once again in bondage to, addiction to, the things that we are aspiring after. And unless the Holy Spirit can set us free from some of these things in our lives, we're going to continue to live a subpar life. You might be looking successful on the outwardly, but inwardly you're rotting away. And so we want to win this battle because Christ has won the whole war by dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead. Now we have to win these small battles. For some of us, they're big battles in our lives so we can experience the fullness. And especially what Jesus said, he came into this world to give us life and to give it abundantly. So let's not forget that. And lastly, through this study in the book of Colossians, we want all of us here to be able to boast in the life that we have in Christ. And you'll see that phrase a lot in the book of Colossians as we study this. In Christ. Things are in Christ. We are in Christ. This idea that everything that we have, even our life right now as we're breathing, is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's why we are in Christ. So now anything good that happens, anything we are able to accomplish is because of Him. 
And that's why we boast in him. We boast in what he has done for us and what he is able to do even to this day. And that's my hope and prayer as we study this book together. So hopefully you've turned to First Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at this next portion of the book as we go into part 3. But I want to start off by asking a question. I'm wondering, has there ever been a time in your life where someone that you know fairly well has called you either crazy or foolish for doing something that you really believe in? Go ahead and raise your hand if you've heard that from someone. Your parents. Okay, now, not too many of you, so this is a perfect message for all of us. Just listen very carefully. I want you to understand that if in your lifetime, as you claim to be a Christ follower, if no one has ever called you foolish or crazy, then I would seriously question your walk with God. This is a dramatic pause. Because I want, I want it to sink in deeply. If your parents, your close friends, people around you at work, in your dorms, if you have never heard anyone say to you, you are foolish or you're a little bit crazy, then I would seriously question your walk with God. Or if I can say this, I would question your understanding of Christianity. Because if you study the Bible and in the gospel accounts, everything that Jesus demands from you and from me, from the Bible that I'm reading, it is one of the craziest things you could ever believe in. If you think about the things that Jesus taught and what he expects from us if we are followers of Jesus Christ, it is such a radical thing that people in this world will not fully be able to comprehend this thing that they will actually tell you you are crazy. I think it's very interesting how sometimes when we do things according to conviction and make decisions based on values that people will mislabel you. Or they'll just simply call you crazy. I don't know how many of you heard of John Allen Chow. He was only 26 years old when he died on November 16th, 2018. So it hasn't been too long ago, last year. And he died by a bow and arrow attack by an indigenous people, uh, an indigenous tribe, in the Senatal Islands, right off the coast of India. And even though it was illegal, I mean, it was, it, it, was, it was a law, that the Indian law, that you cannot come five nautical miles within this island. And the reason why is because these Senatal people, the Senatalese people, they are a tribe that has never been, they are still living in the Stone Ages. And it's interesting that John Allen Chow had such a strong conviction that these people who have never heard the gospel needed to hear about Jesus Christ. And in that conviction, he decided to approach this island and share the gospel. But I thought it was really interesting how the 
media and how the world, even Christians, portrayed the whole situation. In fact, I'll be the first one to confess when I heard this news. I'm like, this guy is such an idiot. Why did he do that? That was my first thought. And I think a lot of it was sometimes swayed by how the media portrayed this whole story. Some people were saying that he was being crazy to try to make contact with this primitive tribe who had no contact with the outside world. Some people were saying that he was being very foolish because he could have exposed these people, the people of this tribe, to diseases such as even simple things as a flu or a cold. And it would have completely wiped out their whole community that's only made up of 90 to 100 people. That's how many people are estimated in this tribe because they didn't have immunity. So you're thinking about yourself, you're selfish because you might actually kill this group of people. And so that's why when I first heard this news, I was, said, I was thinking the same thing. Like, what, what are you trying to prove? But when I began to read up more on the story of John Allen Child, as I began to hear the testimonies of people who knew him very well, I was completely humbled and I had to repent. In fact, I had some discussions with some other pastor friends and we were talking about the situation. And I realized that this person was a very strong follower of Jesus Christ that he was actually praying that he will be able to go to some of the people who have never been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he has such a passion for prayer and for the laws and the Great Commission. And the world called him crazy and foolish, even Christians. That he risked his life to go and share the gospel with people who never heard of him. So I want to show you just a quick video of a news account on ABC from the United States telling the story of what's going on here. And just listen to the interview person that was interviewing this one person who's supposed to be well-knowledged. They always get experts and talking about how foolish it was for him to go there. But I want you to note that he actually left the whole journal that he wrote to the people who brought him to this island. Um, by boat. They were arrested because it was illegal. And I want you to listen to what happened in the story from, from a world's perspective, if you will, from the media. So let's watch this together. If you scour the internet, you will notice that there are many more negative presentation of this whole situation. In fact, people are literally calling him very self-centered and foolish. How about us? I'm wondering what's your first reaction to his death? And as I was thinking about this, I said to myself, are we any different from John Allen Child? What I mean by that is simply this. We could look at someone like him and say, that is so crazy and that is foolish. But I'm wondering if we would look with the lens of the kingdom and look at some of the things that we see around this world and how many of us will look at them and say, "Uh, that's really foolish. If you don't believe me, some of you, I don't know if you know who this person is, but how many of you know um, 
Mayweather Floyd Mayweather, the boxer, a really wealthy man um, and earned all of his money through boxing. I want you to look at some of these pictures. I'm going to kind of step aside here. I want you to look at this is a $5 million car. Do you know how many hungry people you can feed? And I'm sure this is not his only car. And this is probably a car that he will drive maybe once a month, a couple times a month. $5 million. USD. It's not Hong Kong dollars, all right? USD. A couple other pictures. He travels with a Ziploc bag of hundreds and is known for his crazy shopping sprees. I mean, some of us are looking and go, wow, that's crazy, but I wish I could be like that. I know what some of us are thinking. But I don't know. I mean, when I think about this, I think this is a little bit foolish, a little bit crazy. He only wears shoes once. I'm like, please donate if it's the same size. And what he does is he leaves it at the hotel for the staff, which is a nice thing, a thing to do. But can you imagine just buying shoes and just wearing them once and then you just throw it out? You have that much money. He's also known to be a gambler. So he bet at one time $1,100,000. Just, just one bet. And as you can tell, he always has a bling going on. Now, as you know, I, you know, I'm sharing this because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking not only the excess of this, but the, the whole idea of spending that much money on things that will not last. Like I said, in many ways, if you look at John Child's situation and even Floyd Mayweather, I would say this, it really comes down to what you value. And it's amazing that some of you right now are sitting here watching some of these pictures and saying, it's not crazy. I wouldn't mind if that's me. It's because that is what you value. And to be willing to die for your faith, to really believe that Jesus Christ and this gospel message is something that he commands us to take to all the nations and making disciples, to teach them and to obey everything that Jesus Christ has commanded and knowing that he will always be with us. For some of us, that is not what we value in our lives and it shows in the decisions that you make. That's why when I think about the difference between someone like John Allen Chow, someone like Floyd Mayweather, even our own lives, I personally don't think there's much of a difference. Jim Elliott, as many of you know, who was a missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador who died in 1956 with four other missionaries, he kept a journal. And in this journal, as you can uh, see over here, in this journal, he wrote this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And if you just think about this quote for a moment, this is a kingdom, eternal value quote that I think it rings so true. The world will see you as a fool, especially when you give up something, especially even your life, 
for something that is what you're claiming to be eternal and the greatest prize, which is Jesus Christ. But what he says is you're not a fool to give what you cannot keep, which is your life, because it is not your life. It is not your own life. You're not the fool when you surrender things that you value so very much here on this earth because you value Christ more. Because there will be things in your life that you will never lose, which is eternal life if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To give up things of this world, to be able to gain Christ, which you will never lose if you trust in Him, you're not being foolish at all. But in fact, for some of us, we live for the things of this world. For aspiration, there's nothing wrong with getting a job. There's nothing wrong with the internship. There's nothing wrong with going on exchange. There's nothing wrong with the things around us that we do. But some of us, that is our whole life. You desire so much security in this world, and a lot of it is the way you were raised up. That you love that more than Christ. You love your life more than Christ. You love your future more than Christ. You love that relationship more than Christ. So the question is, who's really the fool? The person who gives up what he can't keep? Because all of us, we're going to be buried And we can't take anything with us. Or that person who surrenders those things that he cannot keep. So he will not lose those things that Christ has given. That's why I believe that as we make Christ our ultimate, we will be able to live our lives for his glory. It's really about seeing Christ as being the most lovely and beautiful thing in our lives. That's what we pursue after. And as we draw closer to him, and it continues to build and create an insatiable desire to know Christ more, know him more above all other things, desire him more than everything else. So let me give us the one thing for this morning is simply this, that Christ must be our predominant love because he is preeminent above all. That Christ must be our predominant love because he is preeminent above all. I'm going to go ahead and read all of chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. So I think it's good just to read the whole thing first, and I'll try to break it down And as we study this together and talk about how Christ must be our predominant love, our first love in everything that we do, because he is preeminent, which simply means he is supreme. There is nothing that comes close to him. He is above all other things in our lives. So listen to what the word of God says, starting from Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 15 all the way to verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, you can listen or read on with somebody next to you. This is what the word of God says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the 
the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that is in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. Can I get a good amen? This is the word of God. I want to highlight two things that we must remember about how Christ must be our predominant love because he is preeminent above all. The first thing is this, that we must recognize Christ's supremacy, that we must recognize Christ's supremacy. There are two things that show the supremacy of Christ. The first thing is Christ was supreme in creation. In verses 15 through 17, as we have just read, we see that Paul mentions three unique characteristics traits of Christ to explain his supremacy over all of creation. He mentions that Christ is the image of God. The second thing he mentions is that he is the firstborn over all creation. And the third thing is that he is the creator of the whole universe. I want you to notice verse 15 in particular. You will notice the word image. That word image conveys this idea of something having exact likeness or perfect representation. So when he says that he is the, the image of this invisible God, the reason why this is important is that the writer here, Paul, he's not saying that Christ is simply like God. But what he's saying is that he is God. Jesus is simply the expressed image of the invisible God, this, this perfect representation. He's not just a reflection but the very nature and the character of God is perfectly revealed in Christ. So let me put it very simply. If you look at Christ, you will see God. And you want to know what God looks like? Look at Christ. Are you with me? That is what Paul is saying. That's why in John chapter 1, verse 18, in the message translation, it says this. This is the, uh, um, John speaking, and he says, No one has ever seen God. Not so much a glimpse, this one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made him plain as day. What John is trying to say is this, Jesus Christ came into this world so we will know who God is. Then later on in John chapter 14, verse 9, in the ESV, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says to them, being... Uh, Philip, who was asking questions about what's going to happen, and he says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
So here's Jesus saying that you might not know the Father God, but you've been spending time with me. And if you know me, you will know the Father. We also see that Christ was the firstborn of all creation. Now, it's important to understand that phrase, the firstborn of all creation. In the Old Testament, the significance of being the firstborn is very important. Because what that means is that you have a special place in the inheritance and all the other benefits that come by being born first. Now, in the Asian culture, you know, and especially if you are from the Korean persuasion, you will know that it doesn't matter who's born first, but you have to be the firstborn male, which is my family. I have an older sister. She's two years older than me, and Diane, and she was born first. But it's not the firstborn in terms of order, but it's firstborn in terms of order and gender. And that's when I popped out of my mom's womb. Hello. I am the firstborn male in the Kim household. And I quickly realized along with that comes a lot of privileges. I mean, you could ask my wife, but I was spoiled to death. I was the prized son. And if you've ever been brought up with this kind of notion, you think you are a semi-God until God has to break you tremendously. And I will say this, it didn't occur to me, I just thought this was normal. Like, everything was catered to me. And I remember I was the first one to get a car, not my sister, even though she was turned 16, way before me, two years before me. My parents gave me the car. I was the one that my parents doted on and gave me everything that I needed. And that's why, in in, in many ways, between my sister, there was a rift because of so much of the pain that she experienced because how my parents treated me over her. But what I want you to understand is this, that the Jewish people understood that if you're firstborn, there's a lot of privileges that come with it, just like in some of the Asian cultures. But you have to know that Paul is not, everyone say not. Paul is not saying that Christ is first in the series of people being born. That is not what he's saying. When he says firstborn, rather what he's trying to say is that he is the preeminent one. He is the supreme one. He is has importance in terms of rank and priority above all other things in this world. So it's not an order of birth, but it really comes down to more of priority and rank in where we stand. And this is, impo- this is important and powerful. Because once he understood this as he was communicating to the people, what he was simply saying is, just look at creation. It will tell you how supreme he is above all other people and gods in this world. That's why it says here, he's preeminent in how creation how everything was created, and it says it was 
by him, through him, and for him. I want you to notice those three prepositions. It was by him. He was the cause, the agent in which to go through. It was through him. And at the end, the causality, the, the end goal of all things, it was ultimately for him. This shows us that everything in this life is about him. Everything. Your life, your decisions, your relationships. Everything you do is about him and it's for him. So every time you make a decision, every single time the way you enter into relationships or the way you handle your friendships or the way you study or even your work, the things that you do, the way you work, it's not for you. It's not about you. This is where you can always tell what a person values and their perspective on life just by their decisions. It's not about you. And the sooner you understand that, the more you're going to be able to say, well, if it's not about me, who is it for? What is it about? And you'll begin to look up and you realize everything is about Christ. Your whole life should be about Christ. Even some of the pain that you're going through in your life, it is for Christ that he will be glorified. Some of the weaknesses that you have, it's, it's, it's for Christ. That people will see how strong he is, not how strong you are. Can you imagine if everything you look at your life right now, you see it through the lens that everything is by him, for him, and through him, you realize that some of the decisions that you are contemplating over is so small in light of who he is. When you think about some of your struggles, when you realize that everything is for him, for that end, for his glory, begin to realize, gosh, I'm, 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 I'm struggling over something, even though it might be big to you, that Christ has a greater purpose for you through that. That's why verse 17 reminds us that everything is held together by Christ. It shows that he is a sustainer. He will sustain you and he will sustain me. He will sustain us. You know, I'm so amazed that sometimes the things that come out of our mouths, because it just reminds all of us that what we say sometimes is what's really going on in our hearts. I mean, I was talking with somebody recently and I just realized some of the joys of being in this kind of setting and having a lot of college students in our church and being in a, a global city like Hong Kong where there's so many transient people who come and go. I mean, one of the greatest joys is to actually meet so many different people from all over the world. And I love that, and it's great. And then when they graduate, they go to different places around the world, and it's great. But I would say this. On one hand, there's like this bittersweetness to this because sometimes you build relationship with people. And some of these people are a significant part of our church as they have given their lives to serve. But then I hear these words from some of us. It's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? This person is going to be leaving. 
And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, what is your theology? What you're really saying is, I, I know your heart, but what you're really saying is this, is that we trust in people more than God. That we're more dependent on humans rather than being dependent on God who supersedes all that. Yes, emotionally we might be sad. Yes, that means we have to restructure certain things. Yes, that means that we're going to have to kind of be uncomfortable in certain areas. But how many of you believe that God is still in control? How many of you really believe that it's God who is the one who has raised up people and brought our church in the last three and a half years? Like so often we get so mesmerized by the visual by the people around us rather than seeing the spirit nature and realize that it is God who is sustaining our church. He doesn't need any of us. And I need to get a good amen to that. Amen? Amen. He doesn't need Pastor Seth. Even though it hurts my ego. He doesn't need me. I could be on a plane somewhere and the plane crashes, I die. Will the church continue? I believe so. Because we have a great other pastor here. (laughs) And if he dies, then God will raise up somebody else. God doesn't need any of us. And we keep on forgetting that. Oh, they need me. No, we don't. We need Jesus. That's what we need. We don't need you. This church doesn't need me. Please, don't think you're doing any favors. That's why when people are asked to be in leadership or serve in a certain capacity, it is a privilege. A privilege. How about us? Do you see how foolish it is when we make everything in this life about us? When really he is supreme over all creation. All things were created by him, through him, for him. Not only supreme in creation, as we're talking about this whole recognizing Christ's supremacy, but we will also see this in the supremacy in the church. In verse 18, as we have read, we notice that Christ, who is supreme in all of creation, he is also the head of the church. I want you to focus on the word head. It has this connotation of source or the origin or the leader or ruler. So here's Paul that says, God who is supreme, Christ who is supreme over all creation is also supreme over the church. Not only the local church right here and all the other local churches, but he is the supreme, the head over church, capital C, all the churches in the world. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, listen to what it says in the New Living Translation. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. 
and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Christ is the head of the church. What a great reminder for us. That's why I keep on saying this and I'll say it over. We should never put a person above Jesus Christ. Amen? Never. You should never put your leader above Christ. You should never put any pastor over Christ. You should never put your parents over Christ. You should never put yourself over Christ. There's nothing that comes near to who Christ is because he is supreme over all things, all creation and even the church. I'm wondering, when was the last time you were in awe of who Jesus is in your life? I'm wondering if people saw our lives, can they really see that Christ is supreme and preeminent? That he literally takes first place. Everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you aspire, everything that you dream about, everything that you desire, everything that you are pursuing after right now, that people can look at your life and they say, this guy is all about Christ, or this girl, everything is about Jesus. Even when you serve in the church, do you see it as serving Christ rather than serving people or other people around you to get their approval? If Christ is the head of the church, that means that what you do in church, how you come out to life group, how you come out to Sundays, how you serve in the ministry team, it should all be for Christ. No wonder some of us are getting apathetic or we're losing that desire or sometimes we get bitter because no one recognizes us. If Christ recognizes you and no one else does, then there should be joy in your heart. I'm not saying don't be human. We all need recognition and appreciation. But if that's all you're doing, that's what you're striving for, I'm going to tell you right now, you are going to get royally I was going to say something else, but I controlled myself. You are going to get disappointed. That's a better way to say it. You're going to get disappointed. If you're doing for your own pride, doing for recognition, doing it so that you can gain other people's approval, you're going to get disappointed. If Christ is the head of the church, then everything that you do in the context of the church is for him. And him alone. We have to recognize Christ's supremacy. The second and last point is this. Not only must we recognize Christ's supremacy, but we have to realize Christ's sacrifice. We have to re- recognize or realize Christ's sacrifice. I don't know how many of you grew up as a Christian or in a Christian home. But if you have, you probably have seen so many different pictures of Jesus. And I don't know what it is, but they just like to make pictures of Jesus very serene, very peaceful. Maybe, maybe in the book of Matthew, when he says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy burden, I will give you rest. And here's this person, all oh, rest. And he's painting this picture. Let me show you some of the pictures. I mean, here, here's some of the pictures. You, you know the classic one. This is the classic picture of Jesus. Like, if you see this, like, Jesus. Right? We all know this picture. I mean, look at him. He just looks nice. He might want to trim a little bit on that beard, but I mean, 
with a 12 guard or something like that. But, you know, just, yeah. This is the classic picture. Here's some other pictures. Because <laughs> he's the lamb of God. So he's holding a lamb. I mean, just look at him. You just want to hug him. I mean, it's just, he just looks peaceful. Maybe it's also the background. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the way it's pictured and stuff. But you want to come unto him if you're burdened and heavy laden. Here's another one. I mean, (laughs) yellow, black, and white, you know. (laughs) All the people of the world, you know what I'm saying? You got to be politically correct nowadays. And so here's Jesus. He kind of looks half and half, right? Because they have to mix something in there. But anyway, like bringing all the, even the little girl, Japanese girl, right on his show. I mean, it's just one of those things. You look at this picture and you say, this is Jesus. So nice. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like any of these pictures of Jesus. I'm going to tell you which picture I like. It's pictures like this. Tell me, like, Pastor, you're messed up. Too many of those uh, <laughs> unsolved mystery stories. <laughs> All these criminal mafia stories, which I like, but this is the picture I like. And I know some parents are like, oh, I will never show my kids. That's too gruesome. But I go, no, show it to them. Let them know the seriousness of sin. Let me use this other mic. Let them know the seriousness of sin and what it did to Jesus. Show them how people died on the crucifix back in the days of the Roman Empire. Show them and help them to understand that it's because of your sin and my sins that crucified him on the cross. That it wasn't just the nails, but he was literally beaten, whipped, almost till death. Carry that cross all the way to this hill where he was going to be crucified, pretty much executed. Because every single time I look at pictures like this of Jesus, it always humbles me. It always reminds me of who I am and who I was before knowing Jesus Christ and who I am now. I think about the price that was paid. I think about the sacrifice that was made for a person like me. So as soon as I think my life is like this and I make it all about me, I just have to look at a picture like this and I realize it is not about me. It's about God's glory. It's about God's holiness. That's why as we go to this last section in verse 19 and 20, I want us to just read it one more time. And it says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The word fullness refers to all of God's presence, all of God's attributes, all of his glory filling up the world as they saw Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 in the New Living Translation says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. The NIV of that same verse says this, The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful work. So when God made his dwelling come upon Jesus Christ, everything that represents who God is, is in this life. And that's why when you think about the cross, when Jesus Christ sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our wickedness and our own depravity and our sinfulness and our rebellion against him, Not only did it break his heart, but he knew that this is the will of the Father. Jesus knew that. And that's why when Christ came and sacrificed for us as he died on the cross, it gives us a glimpse why all other loves come short. And all other pursuits in our lives, the things that we are chasing after, seem so small in comparison to who Jesus is. I want you to notice this. As we talk about and realize the sacrifice of Christ, there are two things that we see of Christ's sacrifice, what he did, what it did for us. First of all, it reconciled us. It reconciles us in Christ. In verse 20 to 22, as we have read much earlier, we notice that Christ would reconcile all things to himself. He did this by making peace for us as he shed his blood on the cross. That is the only way we could be reconciled with God was because blood was shed and it was Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, who knew no sin. This idea, and also in verse 22, uh, 20 through 22, you will see this idea of being alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. Do you see that? You will notice that what it's doing, Paul is doing is he's describing us perfectly if we were left to ourselves. If it wasn't for Christ and we were left to ourselves, it says here we were alienated, we were hostile in our minds, and we were doing evil deeds. It literally indicates this desperate state and condition that we will be in, completely separated and isolated, just left alone to ourselves because we were enemies with God. But it was through the sacrifice of Christ that brought us back and reconciled us to him. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 through 11. This is Apostle Paul who also wrote to the people in Rome. He writes this in the ESV. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life 
More than that, we also rejoice in our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What he's simply saying is we were enemies with God, but we were only reconciled because of Jesus Christ. And if we have been now saved by his life, through his death and resurrection, now through his life, then he says, how much more? Right now, this reconciliation. And I think one of the most beautiful things is that he never reconciles us so that we could just be left to ourselves. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. In the NIV, it says this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What he's simply saying is God reconciled you. Now we are no longer enemies with God. We are now brought back to have peace with God. And it's not so that we could just enjoy it for ourselves. But he's saying that he is now using us to implore us, to encourage us that we are now ambassadors. We represent Christ in all that we do. That's why when you go to work tomorrow, you are, an, you are a diplomat, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Now think about that for a moment. If we're totally honest, we're more like diplomats from hell. I mean, we're like, don't wake me up. I'm not a morning person. I'm angry. I hate you. I mean, like, you don't represent Jesus very well. And please don't misunderstand me. We all have bad days. That's why you got to prepare, read the word, pray before you go into your workplace. Same with school, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. If you understand that we have been reconciled through this sacrifice of Christ, now that ministry of reconciliation is given to us. It completely changes how we live our lives. Not only does Christ's sacrifice reconciles us, but it restores us. Listen, this is important. In verse 23, Paul exhorts the people to continue in the faith and the hope in the gospel. In fact, let me just read verse 23 again. It says this, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What he's simply saying is that when we abide in Christ and remember what he has done for us, then we will be able to stand firm. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you are wavering right now in your faith with Christ. Maybe you're wavering because there are things that have happened to you recently. Maybe some of you are wavering because there's a decision that you have to make. Maybe some of you are wavering because just your heart has just been hardened and you just don't know. You might be filled with doubts right now. And what he's saying is that you will be able to stand firm if you will continue to abide and trusting in this hope of this gospel message. The word stable that we see here in verse 23, it means established or grounded. It has a sense of foundation that holds up a building. 
that we are able to become more stable or more established and grounded if we would continue to put our hope in the gospel, not in the future job that we're going to get, not in the future grade that we're going to get, or the future person, spouse that we're going to marry. Every single time you put any hope in anything other than Christ, you're going to be on sinking sand. The firm foundation comes only in Jesus Christ so that no matter what happens to you, what weather, storms come your way, you will be able to stand firm. Listen to what it says in verse 23 in the New Living Translation. But you must continue, it says, to believe this truth and stand firmly by it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Listen to the message translation. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message which is the gospel, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There's no other message, the good news, like this one. How many of you are distracted or diverted? Maybe in your commitment, maybe in your love for Jesus Christ, because other things have captured you. You settle for something less. That's why some of us in this room need to hit the lowest point of our lives in order for us to realize how low we have gotten. That's why I know from a pastor's heart, you you don't want people to fall away. You don't want them to kind of stray in a different direction. But sometimes I just realize, just like raising kids, you just got to let them go. You got to let them fall on their face. You got to let them eat up on their pride. And they realize that they're nothing. What can you do? You can try to convince them. But if they're rebellious, they're proud, they're not going to listen to you. So you just got to bless them and just let them go. It, it hurts your heart because you know that if, if they are in that relationship, it might not be helpful for them. But what can you do? A heart will do what the heart wants. You know that if they choose that, that it's going to lead to all this other stuff that's not going to be beneficial at this very moment. But what can you do? So you got to let them go. Let them choose what they want to choose. Because you're not here to control their life. And it's only when we come to our senses, just like the prodigal son, and realize that Jesus is far greater than anything else or anyone else. Until that realization happens in your life and in my life, I'm telling you right now, we will always be wondering. That's why you talk to people who didn't know Christ or who didn't grow up in the church. And once they experience Christ in a powerful way, it sticks with them because they've tasted everything in this world. You know who are the worst? People who grew up in the church and had very strict parents. Some of you are like, that's me. Are you saying I'm the worst? Well, you answer that for yourself. Because what do they normally do? They come to college and they're like, freedom! No parents to tell me when to sleep. No parent to tell me I got to do this or that. I can eat pizza at 1 o'clock in the morning. Nah, 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 nah. I can do whatever I want. 
I could hang out in that boy's room. I could do this or that. I could do whatever I want. And I realize that what you have experienced is religiosity that never knew Christ. You know about Christ, but you did not know Christ personally. So he is not supreme in your life. He was just something that you feared or something that your parents told you you had to worship. And until, and that's why I say some of those people need to fall away. They need to drift away. They need to taste the world and realize that it will always be sweet when you taste it, but it leaves a bitter taste afterwards. It's like durian. I don't know. I, I can't think of anything else on the top of my head. So you're like, that's not a good illustration. I love durian. I love sin. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm telling you right now, the world promises you everything. Satan promises you everything. But he delivers on so little. And until you taste the world, you taste all your dreams, the things that you're pursuing after when you finally realize, I am so empty. That's why you see people who are 50 some years old who are working in the financial district making tons of money, millions and millions of dollars. And all of a sudden they decide to do a career change and go into teaching. Not to say teaching is lower than finances, but you know what I'm talking about. Something that's totally different. Or they go, I'm going to be an artist for little children. Why? Their whole lives they've studied to pursue the riches of this world and they have it all. And they realize no matter how much money you have, it will never fill your heart. No matter how much fame you have and success that you have, you will always be empty in your heart without Christ. And I'm telling you right now, many of you who are young, you haven't experienced this yet. So some of you need to go pursue those things. Some of you need to do all the st stuff and then realize as you once have, as you have it, you realize it doesn't fill your heart like the way it promised it would. And when you begin to feel this pain and this longing in your heart that only Jesus Christ can fill, that's when you realize maybe everything that he has said in his word is true. That nothing else in this world can fill your heart except for Jesus Christ. Paul took God's reconciliation. And then he declared, I am the servant of this gospel. And so not only can he, God I'm talking about, can take someone who was living a life that was killing Christians, like Paul, and turn it around and restore him to now being a proclaimer of the gospel message, God can do the same thing for you and for me. That what we used to do or what we are doing right now and how we are living for our own self-centered purposes, God can take that and begin to change us as we understand and realize his sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice for us. And then God will start restoring our purposes. So no longer are you a finance major just to make money. But now you're going to be a finance major to be able to help people who are in need of finances around the world. That what you wanted to do is become a doctor so that you could have this prestige. And your parents can give you accolades towards your, their friends. That now you realize that it's no longer just for my parents. But I'm doing this because I want to bring God's healing around the world. 
as I bring physical healing to them. So God restores the things that once was a good thing, but was tainted by self-centeredness, and he will transform you if you understand the sacrifice, and he gives that to us in a whole way, different way. How about us this morning? When was the last time we pondered on the sacrifice of Christ and just began to understand more deeply about our own sinfulness and felt a greater sense of gratitude? I'm wondering how many of us are living our lives in light of this reconciliation we have received through his sacrifice. So the one thing, as I mentioned before, is simply that Christ must be our predominant love because he is preeminent, supreme, above all. I want to give us some quick next steps and as we close here. First of all, and I'm telling you right now, this does not happen automatically. You have to put the effort that's not trying and striving in your own strength, but you have to do your part as God will move in your heart. That could be another one thing later. Do your part as God moves in your heart. Sometimes you get inspired as you're actually preaching. Praise God. The first thing is this. Acknowledge Christ's supremacy daily. Find different ways when things are getting hard or when you're struggling through or when things are good. Just say, God, you're the best. You're the greatest. Just acknowledge that. Sometimes when you just speak these words, even though it's just a phrase, it helps you to reorient your mind that it's not about you. Just acknowledge his supremacy. God, it's not about me, but it's all about you. Do this every single day and see what will happen this week, how your perspective will change, how your, how your feelings or your self-centeredness will wash away and you realize it's about Jesus. The second thing is this, assess your life daily. Make it a habit where you reflect. Some of us, we do it towards the end of the day as we're about to go to sleep, brushing your teeth. Just think about the day. Assess, was there anything that I put above Christ? Were there things that I got frustrated with because it didn't happen the way I wanted it to? You know, something I've been sharing with people is this. A lot of times we can fake it. A lot of us, we're really good because you've been doing this all your life. In the Asian culture, you, are, are, you perfected this. You could totally be one way on the outside, and then inside there's something else going on. And the reason why this is very, very important for us is because God is looking for integrity, consistency. And so let me just say this, by you assessing your life, one of the things that you can do is as you reflect on this life, just simply ask, God, how did I respond to that situation? I have told people, you can watch how people respond and that will show you what was really in their heart. If there's a decision that came about that they don't like, how do they respond to that? That shows you a lot about what was really going on. On the outside, they looked like they were really humble and they were really trying to seek God. But how do they respond when there's a decision that they don't want or they don't like? That shows you a lot about what was really going on inside their hearts. When there's pressure, stress, how do they respond? Because you could fake it when things are going great or even when it's not too hard, you can kind of fake it. But when it's overwhelming, what's really in your heart and who you really are begins to come out. So circumstances are just there to surface up what's really in us. 
And lastly, act in obedience to God daily. And you cannot do this apart from the Spirit of God. To be able to respond in obedience to Him because you realize He's supreme, then all your decisions and all your thoughts and every inclination of your heart should be towards Christ. If you really believe that He's supreme and you really understand His sacrifice, that's when. Your love for Christ will be predominant over all other loves because he's preeminent above all. I want to close with this video as some of you probably have seen this before some, some years back. But I shortened it because I want to tie it in with what I shared earlier. As I mentioned before, when you think about John Allen Child, in my discussions with some of my pastor's friends, one of the things that came out was, wow, this person is a modern-day Jim Elliot." And the more I began to read on some of his journals and different things, uh, testimonies by different people who knew John Chow very well, it really humbled me to realize here's a young, single man, 26 years old, who was willing to lay down his life for the gospel because he realized that Christ was supreme over everything else in this world. And the thought that came to my mind is, first of all, am I like that? Is my family like that? And I'm thinking, are we raising up people like that? Who will love Christ more than even their own life. That they are willing to act in obedience. Even though it's not going to be easy. But they say yes to Christ because it's all about Jesus. Not about our comfort. Not about our safety. Not about our security. Not about the easy way and the successful way what the world and your parents tell you. But it's about Christ and his kingdom. And so this is a, in a concert where they did a montage of the life of these five missionaries. And also tells you about the five women who, who also married these guys. And their life together as a family who gave everything to go to Ecuador, to the Aka Indians, who are now known as the Wadani people, lay down their life so that they can hear. And through their sacrifice, a whole tribe has come to know Jesus Christ. And I'm wondering if some of us will see the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is far better than anything else in my life, that you're willing to lay down your life. You might not die for your faith, but I pray you'll die for something you believe in. Something that you can say that I believe is true because this is the best thing that has ever happened to me. So let's watch this and then we'll close out. Let's stand together as we close. We are living in different times than 1956. Because from their martyrdom, there was a whole wave of new missionaries that were raised up who went out and preached the gospel to the ends of this earth. In fact, when I was a college student, it was their story that really inspired me. 
Because I was thinking about what am I doing with my life? I'm living for myself. But they knew what they were living for and they were willing to give everything because it was about Jesus Christ. That's why, in fact, we named our second son Elliot and spelled the same way as Jim Elliot. If I fast forward in November 2018, and now people are saying they're so foolish. Well, why is that guy going into this island to preach the good news? And I realize, man, it's the same heart as these five people had and the same heart that John Chow had. And it's the same heart that God is looking for in our generation today. And all I'm saying to you is this. I mean, can we just be honest this morning? And I think this is one of the reasons why we're always settling for less. Because we're just not honest. If God told you to give up everything, to go somewhere that you don't want to go, Like the honest response, I think many of us will say is, I'm scared. I don't want to do that. I love my life. I want a good future. I want to control my life. I want to know. I want to be able to have this dream. I want to live this out. I want to be able to experience getting married, having kids. And none of those things are wrong. I hope you understand that. But the challenge is that if Jesus Christ, who is supreme and he is preeminent over all things, all creation, over the church, everything in this world, and he asks of you, are you willing to surrender and give everything that you have to me so that you can live a life that you are destined to live? What we normally do is try to mask it with religious talk. Well, I'm praying about it. I don't know if it's really God's will. We, we rationalize. We do all this stuff. We try to talk to all these people. And I'm telling you, the more people you talk to, the more confused you're going to get. In fact, you're probably just trying to find someone who will agree with you. What God is looking for is your heart. Is he the greatest thing in your life that you pursue after? Is he your predominant love over all other things in this world? More than your mother, more than your father. Yes, you're even your very own life. As he calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. And when I read this book to the Colossians, it's challenging me. Do I know Christ in this way? That he is so supreme. That everything is by Him, for Him, through Him. So that everything that I do, everything that we live for, is about Jesus. And if it's not, let's be humble and just repent and say, God, it's not about you. I'm not making it about, I'm making it all about me. And I'm scared. And I want a comfortable life. Let's just repent of those things and be honest. And I'm wondering is that as we repent, God will give us a glimpse of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. To help us to understand he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to lose, to gain what he will never lose. I'm wondering if we are able to really understand that, that when we surrender the things that is so easily taken away in any moment, so we can gain those things that will never be taken away from us, eternal things, that our lives will be full of joy, 
that our lives will be full of just vibrancy and excitement that every day is like a new adventure with Jesus Christ every experience that he's going to give unto us we're not going to be like oh I deserve it no we don't deserve anything just look at the cross stop looking at that picture of Jesus with those little kids Look at that picture of Jesus who was hanging on the cross. Think about the sacrifice and you realize, God, it's my honor. It is my privilege. You have died for me. You have given your life. You have reconciled me. You are restoring me. So here is my life, Lord. I will gladly lay it down for you. Because it's all about you. It's for you. It was by you. It was through you. Can you imagine what would happen to your life? I'm wondering, can you imagine what would happen to our church if we could raise up these types of people? Some of you are a little bit older, like, well, that's just for the younger kids and stuff. Or I was like that when I was in college. No, it's for us. Every, do you know how decisions are harder as you get older? You start thinking about your kids, the safety of your kids, the comfort for your kids. And sometimes we're so swayed by the decisions of our kids. They're not yours. And some of us might have to learn the hard way that they're not ours. When you try to raise them and they rebel against you. Or something happens to them and you realize, God, they are not mine, they're yours. And what he was trying to teach you in college, he's now reminding you again as a parent. Everything is by him, through him, and for him. And until we can surrender and say, God, it's all about you. And my life is just a little blip in the light of eternity. And I want to use every single breath that I have for your glory. Everything. I surrender all. I give it all to you. Do whatever you need to in my life, in my heart. And I just say, God, just be glorified in my life. That's when the light will shine brightly from us, from our church into this dark world i pray holy spirit come now just even upon every single person in this church and the sound of my voice as they can hear i pray lord that you will do the work in their hearts whatever it is they're holding on to whatever it is that they long for that is not of you i just pray that this morning that we will gaze upon the beauty of who you are that you will become our pursuit that you will become our greatest desire so everything else will fade away and that all we can see is you how marvelous you are how wonderful you are how there's power in your name there's healing in your name there's purpose in your name there's joy in your name and I pray that as we begin to experience this more and more Lord that our lives will be spent fully spent on you and for the kingdom of God because you are worthy you are worth it Lord God do your work right now Lord Jesus I'm going to invite us if we can in this moment before we respond let's just take a moment just a couple minutes just to think about the cross and think about the sacrifice of Jesus what he has done for us and let's just begin to convert those images and our thoughts that God is putting in our hearts 
into praise and thanksgiving say thank you lord jesus for the sacrifice thank you for loving me when i was rebellious and i turned away thank you lord god for being patient with me when i've turned to myself so many times but you still patiently waited for me to return will you just praise him and thank him for who he is and then we're just going to worship and focus on jesus this awesome jesus who he is for us come on let's just do that for just a couple minutes what are we doing